is on air. You're listening to the On Air Fest podcast. I'm James Kim. At On Air Fest, we bring together the creative vanguard of storytellers, artists, musicians, and performers to explore the possibilities of sound. In February, as tension was building between Ukraine and Russia, our festival was in full swing. The co-hosts of Today Explained were set to talk about Noel King's career, but in true form, instead sat down to unpack what was happening in Ukraine in real time. Here's Sean Ramosverum and Noel King, recorded live at On Air Fest. <laughs> Hi, Noel. Hi, Sean. It's Today Explained. I'm Sean Ramosverum. I'm Noel King. Nice yeah, to see you Yeah, she all. is. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Thanks for being here. Thanks to On Airfest. Uh, we had a plan for this up until Thursday, and then that plan felt dumb. Uh, so we threw that plan away, and we came up with a different plan. And I know there are a lot of audio professionals in here and people who like making stuff or make stuff for money or whatever it is. So we thought we'd tell you how we went from having absolutely zero show and zero plan on Thursday, two days ago, and five hours later probably had made one of the best episodes we've ever made on our show in four years and 1,006 episodes. (laughs) It had a lot to do with my co-host, Noel King, and a lot of teamwork but it felt like it could be an illuminating story to tell you guys. So we're going to do that. And I guess it starts with uh, Wednesday night. The trick about making a daily news podcast is to not make it on the day. Because it's really, really hard. Because like, things go wrong. So you got to make it like the day before. Or you got to make it very quickly on the day, which is what we did on Thursday, right? So we had a plan on, on, for Thursday's show. Wednesday's show was about Ukraine. So we're like, we did Ukraine on Wednesday. We don't have to do it on Thursday. But then something happened between Wednesday and Thursday, which was that Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, and so that's happening Wednesday night for us, Thursday for them. And some of us uh, on the team are sort of slacking into the night, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Noelle and I have like different sleep schedules. Different circadian rhythms. Because she recently hosted a boarding show that started at like 3 a.m., right? Yeah, I still wake up at 4 pretty much every day. So the way the show's been working lately is like, <laughs> I'm doing like the late night slacks and she's doing the early morning slacks. And that's why it's so great to have a co-host because <laughs> one of us is always around. So um, I'm, I'm doing the late night slacks and at some point it's like 11.30 and CNN's not really like teaching me anything anymore. And I say to our senior producer, Amin al I'm like, let's just deal with it tomorrow. We'll figure it out. But at this point, our show for, for Thursday is still about uh, what happened to the Afghan evacuees. One laugh. It was kind of <laughs> funny. Because on Wednesday afternoon, that seemed like a great plan. Like, our, our producer reporter, Halima Shah, had, like, gone and found some Afghan evacuees. And, like, it's a great question. We paid so much attention six months ago to what was happening to these Afghans in this airport. And then, like, 
where is that story? It disappeared, right? So she had like figured out what's going on with them and we're gonna run that. And then by Thursday morning, a terrible, terrible idea to run that show. And this is when I'm still sleeping probably and you're yeah, now. Yeah, I got up at 4 a.m. and the New York Times splash page was map of Ukraine and red arrows in all of the directions that Russia had invaded from. So I got into the Slack knowing that no one was awake and I just started talking to myself. I'm like, so we're not gonna do Ukraine today because we have a show, right? No one responded for 30 minutes. I'm like, maybe I'll start making some calls. No one responded. Maybe I'll start a prep. So like 5.30 in the morning, I was like, starting to build a show with the understanding that it was not gonna happen because we couldn't pull it off in the span of a day. But at least I was like calming my own anxieties over the fact that this big thing was happening and I was the only person awake for it. (laughs) And I was sleeping blissfully knowing that we've been doing this for four years and we've never not pulled off the thing that we have to pull off every day, which is to make a show that explains the day's news. So I'm like, we'll figure it out. Whatever it is, we'll figure it out. But 7.30, we like waking up, pulling up the news, whatever. I, like, the first thing I do is open my computer and Noel and Amina, our, our senior producer, are already slacking and like, we're going to do this. Let's do it. We're, Afghanistan's definitely not going to happen. That would look kind of basic. What's our show? And so what are our early ideas? Early ideas were reporters. I mean, there are 17,000 people in Kiev right now. All of them work for great news organizations. And I was like, let's just do the simple thing and book NPR or the BBC or the Financial Times or The Economist. And I'm like putting their names and their email addresses and their phone numbers in a document. And then Sean blows it up. (laughs) When we launched it, I explained back in February, like four years ago, like this week-ish, 2018, you know, we were the third daily news podcast, depending on how you count them. Mike Pesca complicates the thing. But like, there's the daily, there's uh, up first, and there was us. And our like, MO back then was just, let's have a reason to exist every day. Which means don't do what everyone else is doing, no matter what. Don't do the same thing. And if, you do, if you're doing the same story, definitely do it differently. So that means you have to pay attention to what everyone else is doing. So I listen to Morning Edition every day. I look at what our competition is doing. And what everyone was doing was talking to some correspondent they had in Ukraine. And if we just talk to an NPR correspondent, though we do that. We did that on Tuesday's show, which we made. It was about the Olympics. It was an Olympics wrap with Tom Goldman from NPR. He did great. But like, if we do it on Thursday, we're just kind of doing a version of what NPR is doing or doing a version of what the BBC is doing. Who knows? Whoever it ends up being. So I said, let's not do that. And then what can we do? Vox doesn't have reporters on the ground. That's not Vox's thing. Uh, we spoke to a Vox reporter literally the day before on our show about why Ukraine matters. So we kind of already did that. And then you kind of just got to go back in moments like these. And this has only really happened to us twice in the history of our show, January 6th and Thursday. Just what's the like simplest, most compelling thing you can do is just call someone in the middle of it and hear what they have to say. And so I was like, Noel, how about we do that? And the only problem was, it's not like we have the cell phone numbers of random people in Ukraine. And so at that point, we had to start trying to find someone. And our team really sprung into action. Everybody was calling their friends and their extended family. Former Airbnb people guests they met on from Russia. Insta. Yeah. <laughs> Literally everything. I was on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, email, like scanning archives, hitting up someone who stayed at my apartment three blocks away like seven <laughs> years ago. Just everything. Who was weirdly in Sri Lanka at the time. Yeah. I was like, what? what? Anyway. Um, and you 
reached deep into your yeah, personal I Rolodex. Yeah, I got really lucky. I am from a small town two hours north of here. Uh, it's in the middle of the woods, and there's a Ukrainian cultural center that has existed, I think, since the 60s. It's this very private place. I've never been on the grounds. It's like a little bit of a dirty dancing vibe, um, but only Ukrainians. But my kid brother... <laughs> My kid brother was a little bit of a hustler when we were young, and he was like a hot teen. So one summer he got a job as a waiter, and, uh, and he would come home like crusted in cash and like telling wild stories. So he, um, I texted him, and I'm like, I know it was 20 years ago, but do you still stay in touch with any of the Ukrainians from the resort? And he was like, I do. And I said, can you text them and find us someone in Ukraine? And he's like, I think I really can. And that's what happened. Здравствуйте, Василий, это Фима Шапира. No one at Today Explained speaks Ukrainian, but our engineer, Afim Shapiro, does speak some Russian, and he volunteered to translate. Would you tell me your full name? Могли бы вы произнести свое имя, пожалуйста? Кури Василий. And where are you now, Mr. Vasil? Где вы сейчас находитесь? Город Львов, Западная Украина, Львовская область. In the town of uh, uh, Lviv in Ukraine. But we got a little turned around linguistically. Is that in the north or the south of the country? Uh, is that in the at uh, the at the at the Ukraine, да? На Западе. That is in the uh, in the. I'm, I'm so sorry. So Mr. Vasil told Afim, hold on a second, let me call my niece, Yulia. Hello? Hello? Yulia, my name is Afim Shapiro. Yulia Lopushinska ended up translating her uncle's Ukrainian into English, and she answered a few of my questions, too. My uncle and I, we live here in the western Ukraine, and here are no Russian troops, well, yet, and they are on the eastern side of Ukraine. Okay, so I wasn't in this interview. Uh, you were. At that point, I'm guessing this is like minute 10 or something yeah. like that. Did you have any idea if this would work? And at this point in the day, it's like 11.30-ish a.m.? Yeah, I thought we were lost. And then Yulia came on the line, guns blazing, saying she didn't speak English very well. She was totally fluent. And I was like, okay, I think our butts are saved by Yulia, the niece. Vladimir Putin ordered an invasion of your country. What do you think of him? Well, I pray for him. Not many people support me in that, but I want him to change. I want him to be to think different because we are peaceful nation. Ukraine is a peaceful nation. People who do not want to fight or do not want the war. My uncle would not approve that. Maybe he would say something different. Uh, but I know some people from Russia, and I know that they support. Ukraine. Not everybody is a gay. So it depends, you know? Yes, Yulia, I, I hear what you're saying. You're praying that Vladimir Putin changes his mind and stops this. So you are hopeful. What does your uncle think about Vladimir Putin? Okay, I will ask him. 
Vladimir Putin is crazy. He thinks that Vladimir Putin is crazy. Has gone crazy. His actions they are illogical. It's even difficult to think about his actions. His soul is to the full amount with devil. His soul is full of the devil. And so I think your uncle is not praying for Vladimir Putin. Uh, this is the thing I love about a Noel King interview. I've loved it for years. You can find a way to, I don't know, pull on a tiny thread that's actually funny while talking to someone who's probably taking shelter during a war and get a laugh out of her, get a joke out of her uncle. How yeah. do you do that, Noel? Well, I started my career as a conflict reporter. In my time, I have done a genocide, the Arab Spring, multiple irregular wars. And one of the things I've learned is that in the direst of straits, there are always people who need to be laughing and making jokes. It's a very human thing. I've seen it all over the world. And I knew at some point, I could tell by her voice that Yulia was going to pop off and laugh at some point. And I wasn't going to prompt her to do it. That's not my job. My job is to just receive it if she does it. And when she laughed, I was like, she is confirming. She's confirming my suspicion. She's a joker. Of course, you did bring it back around to the serious business and, and the pathos of the moment, I suppose, at yeah, the end. I did, because you crept into my DMs and were like, there's one question I really want you to ask them, which I appreciate. And how does your uncle feel about being Ukrainian right now? Very proud. For now, it is the only nation. There are no more nations in the whole world uh, which stand with the gun against Russian Federation. When it happened in the United States the 11th of September in New York, the whole world was with the America, the whole world supported and prayed for America. And uh, today in Ukraine, it is not only two buildings. These are the whole cities, buildings, villages, cities. Yulia, I hope that you and your children and your uncle and the rest of your family are all safe. I really genuinely want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. And we will keep your uncle's number and we will check back in with you, okay? Yeah, but I'll translate for him. Thank you for And we my uncle says, uh, sure, if we are still alive. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Mr. Vasil. Thank you and glory to Ukraine. I'm going to shout out my boy Will Reed right here who produced this episode with our other producer, Victoria Chamberlain. Give it up for Will. Ah, 
I remember it was like three o'clock or four o'clock when I heard that, and I like I was just so on edge all day, being like, "This needs to work out. Is this gonna work out?" And then I, you guys got out of the interview, and you told me a couple things that were said, and it sounded like it was gonna work out. But I heard that with the scoring, and I was like, I took like this huge exhale. It felt like the first <laughs> exhale I had taken all day because I was like, we did it. We did it. Ugh, we did it. Thank God. We did it. And I, the thing we did wasn't like the feels or the goosebumps, though I had the feels and I had the goosebumps. I think the thing we did was actually, I heard them say something that I actually hadn't heard on the BBC or read in the Times or read at Vox or, or heard on NPR that morning, which is like, I finally understood how alone Ukrainians felt on Thursday and today and yesterday. Yeah, when she drew the 9-11 comparison, it was just a reminder that when 9-11 happened, the whole much of the universe turned its eyes towards the United States and what's happening in Ukraine. As she said, it's not two buildings, it's whole cities, and no one is coming for us. Um, she said that at several points, and that was, that was really difficult to hear, truthfully. And that wasn't the end of the show. We did speak to a journalist in the episode, though it was a Ukrainian journalist, and, and that was another thing that we kind of insisted on. There were a lot of American journalists or British journalists we could speak to, but it felt more important to speak to a Ukrainian journalist. And I think, Will, you booked him by just finding him on Twitter, seeing that he was doing some work and his Gmail was posted on his website. A lot easier to find than our Ukrainian civilians. But what do you think we got out of speaking to a Ukrainian reporter and not, say, an American one. He was really angry. This guy was so pissed because this is his country. And he was a reporter and he was a professional, but he was out of his mind angry. Russia has shown that it's a permanently hostile state. Um, Ukraine is now, a per will never forgive. Ukraine is now also now permanently, ho permanently hostile to Russia. Uh, Germany and France, uh, I'm sorry, but they have no spinal cord. They're, they've shown themselves to be spineless appeasers, and they're, they're completely useless. And they, well, there's nothing anyone can do with diplomacy anymore. Like that, Putin doesn't care. He's shown that he's, he, 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 we're, we're past diplomacy at this point. What I've heard from Ukrainians throughout the day is we don't think the rest of the world is coming to save us. We're going to have to save ourselves. It sounds like you agree. Yeah, I do. I mean, I hope the sanctions sort of have some kind of effect, um, but uh, nobody's coming. I mean, Ukrainians are very grateful for the weapons. They're already being used to destroy Russian tanks and helicopters and planes and stuff. Uh, everybody is very grateful for the weapons, and sanctions would also be good, but... Um, that's right. Nobody's trying to save them. We're just going to have to live or die on our own. This was the third episode of our show you hosted? Yeah. <laughs> How'd you feel at the end of the day on Thursday? I felt like we got stuff done. I felt like we heard from voices who we really needed to hear from. Sometimes people who seem random are not at all random, and I really felt a connection with all three of them, and I love that. And the thing that occurs to me as, as your colleague now, and I, I listen to your former colleagues every morning and like half of them seem to be there, is that I know how badly you want to be there. And you're here. 
How much does that suck for you? It's killing me. It's killing me inside. I, um, I think there's a spectrum within reporting. There are people who really want to be in the field, and there are people who really don't. And I am on the extreme side of want to be there, want to see the thing. I, a lot of my reporting is as much about the insight of what's going on as what people say. And to be honest, there's some part of me that feels if you're not sitting down with somebody and looking in the eye, if you're not looking around their city, if you're not seeing and hearing and smelling what they are, you are going to be missing some really crucial insights. So that, that's been rough. That's been rough. Whereas I feel like totally fine to be sitting <laughs> in, my, in my closet in D.C. trying to make shows like these because I feel like we can still help people understand it from yes. D.C. And I know you must feel like we can do that too because here you are doing it what do you think the value of what we do is this explainer journalism thing in a moment like this well i think that everybody wants to have opinions on what's going on in the news especially these days i mean this is like a big thing over the last four or five years everybody has something to say about everything i think it is better for people to be informed about why things are happening in addition to what's happening if you know why things are happening you are in a much better position to have like a conversation that doesn't have to go off the rails into like fighting, disagreement, political nonsense. It still does a lot of the time. Um, but I think people having a foundation of knowledge before they get really involved on whether U.S. troops should go into Ukraine or not is just a good thing, a necessary thing right now. And there's just like a lot of questions people have. And I think a thing that our show isn't afraid to do is to, to sort of be humble in the face of really confusing news and to admit that we are not God and we do not know the answers, but we can probably find the people who do. <laughs> and and it, on our show, one of our superpowers is actually that it doesn't matter if they work for Vox or the Washington Post or the Atlantic or the New York Times or a member station or NPR or some... Ukrainian news outlet that no one's ever heard of until Thursday, or there's some academic, we can kind of reach out to anyone. It makes it a little harder to make the show sometimes because we don't have like 900 reporters at our disposal all day, but it also, I think, creates a more rewarding listening experience because we can reach out to anyone and just find the best person. And I think that's what you did on the show yesterday. We made an episode titled uh, The Real and Imagined History of Ukraine which sort of gets at Vladimir Putin's imaginary reason for this war and the truth. And it's like the densest episode we have <laughs> ever made. I was constantly rewinding and I was just sitting Good. in a dark hotel room by myself. <laughs> and I was like, wait, I missed it. I'm not doing anything else, but I'm still missing it because it was like a tome. But there's a whole lot of things to understand here and we can, we can explain them from our basements in Washington, D.C. And it is a gift. Like, it's a gift that we get to do it, yeah. You're right. A question I imagine, because we probably won't have time for questions, a lot of people in this room have, for you especially, is, you know, why do you want to leave the most uh, listened to news magazine in the country, on the continent, to make a, a humble podcast? Nothing humble about it. Uh, <laughs> Morning Edition is a 40, it's a very, very ruthlessly efficient 40-year-old machine of a show. And because it's been around for 40 years and because it's a 24-hour operation, 
you have to stay, you have to color inside the lines. You have to do the same type of segment every day. You have to do the intro the same. You can't make a risque joke. I know that for a fact. I've gotten in trouble. You can't get salty with a congressman who's lying. I know that. I've gotten in trouble. And there was, there's one thing that occurs to me as we've been talking, which is that moment where Yulia started laughing. I was like, let me ask my uncle. If I had done this story for Morning Edition, that would have been cut out. It, it would have been viewed as not substantive and we would have been low on time and it would have had to go and that would have haunted me for months because I thought that laugh was the most telling thing about the entire interview with Yulia. And so I started to, I started listening to Today Explained the week it started airing and I liked it because the moments like that, I heard them not being cut out. And I was like, whatever Sean and his team have been doing, we think the same things are important. And I wanted to be someplace where people thought like me about what's important. And it's worth noting, upon your arrival, we're also trying to get back on the radio. We are. We are. We'll get you back on the radio. We've Both never been us. on the radio. <laughs> but, you know, since we launched the show, I was always like, can we get on the radio? But Vox was like, what? <laughs> Sorry. You want to get on the radio? <laughs> It's like a modern startup, like, you know, yeah. they're like, just like, what? I'm sorry. What is a radio? You want to put this on A-track, too? <laughs> like, so, um, but I was like, no, like, there's just a ton of people there, and I think we make something that they would like. And they finally came around, and so come April, we're going to start hitting member stations across the country. Because we got to get Noel King back on the radio. So that's super exciting. We're going to continue to make this this humble maybe not so humble daily news explainer thank you for listening for all those who listen thank you for having us here today and listening to us and um thank you to on air fest thank you guys keep it going for sean and noel that was sean ramos and noel king for today explained this episode was recorded live at on air fest at wyeth hotel in brooklyn for more conversations like this, visit onairfest.com. I'm James Kim. Thanks so much for listening. This is On Air.